The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Nolan. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Look, folks, if you're listening, no matter where you live, if you're like most people, you live in an urban environment, but uh, no matter where you live or who you are, you are familiar with the trope of the small town. They can present some of the best and worst parts of any society. Matt, Noel, and I have all had plenty of strange adventures in small towns, and for the good part, you know, they are the places where people band together. Communities where everyone knows your name, people chip in to help each other out when times are hard, but those same places can also be home to troubling things, deep prejudice, corruption that lasts for generations, maybe not so keen on outsiders, there's a lot of local corruption. They can hide secrets beneath the surface, and today's story just to be clear, folks, contains graphic depictions of sex and violence. As such, it may not be appropriate for all listeners. This is close to home for us. It takes place in our home state of Georgia. And maybe the best way to set it up is to say thank you. Because in an earlier listener mail segment, one of our fellow conspiracy realists asked about a place called Corpsewood Manor. Here 
are the facts. Yeah, shout out to Slayer who asked us about that, or I guess told us about that. It was one of those things that we felt like we knew or we had heard about, but didn't know any of the details at the time. So thank you, Slayer, for letting us know about that. Yeah, and you know, Chattooga County, not to be confused with Chattanooga, which is also not terribly far from here in Atlanta. That's in uh, Tennessee. Chattooga County is a county in Georgia, not very far from Alabama. Um, and Ben, you pointed this out. Uh, I did not realize the proximity, but um, a really cool outsider artist by the name of Howard Finster has a uh, incredible or he's not living anymore, but his, I guess, estate called Paradise Gardens is also there in Chattooga County, um, a population of a little less than 25,000 people, beautiful outdoors and some kind of odd like outsider art stuff. Um, this guy like did a lot of album covers for R.E.M. and he's, you know, in a lot of modern art museums. He's considered like, you know, one of the great outsider artists. Uh, very, very interesting work. Um, but also Chattooga County is home to the topic of today's episode, which is a place called Corpsewood Manor. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, even living in Georgia for some time, uh, this this one had been on my list of, hey, learn more about this. Uh, but every every state is filled with obscure stories that kind of fade from the news. So, yes, thank you to Slayer. I was excited to dive into this one. Chattooga is in the very, like, up upper northwest corner of Georgia, right on the border with Alabama. Like you said, Noel, it's a small place. It's pretty conservative. It's fairly religious. It's one of those places where if you happen through, it it wouldn't particularly strike you as odd. And you probably haven't heard of it unless you've heard of Howard Fenster. I was able to visit Paradise Gardens a while back. It is well worth the day trip if you're in the area. And his story alone is awesome, maybe for ridiculous history in the future. Corpsewood Manor is legit something you would call a castle. Uh, the manor, it's, it's a compound, really. The manor itself is built of stone by hand, pretty neat, and it's in the middle of the Chattahoochee National Forest. Uh, part of the Chattahoochee National Forest is in Chattooga County, and it was built by these two guys who stuck out like sore thumbs in this otherwise sort of buttoned-up, happy-go-lucky town of Trion, which is the second largest community in the county. Our main character, if we could call him such, is a guy named Dr. Charles Scudder. Uh, in his previous life, Scudder was a Loyola professor of pharmacology and assistant director of the Institute for the Study of the Mind, Drugs, and Behavior. And in 1976 or 1977, he does something really interesting. He leaves his job and sells off like a bunch of his possessions, like all, like even the electronic appliances. And he and his longtime housekeeper and partner, a guy named Joey or Joseph Odom, they've been scouting out areas in the South of the U S and they landed on a place called Taylor's Ridge. And they were there. They wanted to build their own sort of paradise. They definitely had a vision in mind for construction. If you are a true crime fan and you hear a name like Corpsewood Manor, you immediately start asking yourself whether this is a work of fiction or fact. It was the real name. Uh, Scudder and Odom chose that name because when they arrived at the site, 
they found what author Amy Petula calls a graveyard of denuded trees. And I suspect, because Scudder was a brilliant dude, I suspect that they were maybe doing a little bit of wordplay because, you know, copes is a word that describes a group of trees. And it sounds really close to, I mean, you know, you get it. It's worth a laugh is what I'm saying. I feel like they planned that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and denuded, I, I didn't know what that meant until we uh, looked at, you know, we're researching for this episode. But denuded just means a tree that doesn't have any leaves on it. So there's no, like, life to the tree that is actually going to help it to continue to grow. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's dead, but it's denuded. Uh, and if there's a whole bunch of them, they're probably not doing so great. So it would be kind of like having a bunch of tree corpses. Exactly. Yeah. A copse of tree corpses. And look, this is not the usual run of daily events for the good folks of Trion. Trion's one of those places where time seems to move a little bit differently than it does in, say, bustling Manhattan. A lot of officials keep their same jobs for years and years and years. It's not a moving and shaking town of drama and crime. And frankly, residents like it that way. They just want to go about their business, you know. But unfortunately, like any other area of the world, Trion is not immune to evil, nor is Chattooga County. Uh, In the fall of 1982, a teenager named Judith Neely and her husband, Alvin Neely, who was born in Trion, embarked on a series of brutal kidnappings, horrific assaults, and murders before being caught. Neely, by the way, was the ringleader of the operation. She could be an episode all her own. Um, One of her last crimes was tricking a, once they had been caught and incarcerated, one of her last crimes was tricking another female inmate into a suicide pact to have that person kill themselves. Jesus. Yeah, motive unknown. But uh, this is also part of the part of the state that's home to something we talked about a number of years ago, the tri-state crematorium scandal, where this one guy had on his own just Because he didn't want to cremate bodies, he was saying that he cremated them and he ended up building a mass grave that was only later discovered in the 2000s. Anyway, this is the what we're saying is appearances are not always the true substance of a place, a person, a book, etc. This is the context in which the corpsewood crimes occurred. And there's a lot to dive into here. So we're keeping the facts brief. Let's get to it. Here's where it gets crazy. So we've set up Corpsewood. We've introduced our main characters. Maybe we can learn a little bit about how they got there in the first place, because I think that really sets the stage for the events to come. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this these kind of small town murder mysteries and, you know, the idea of uh, the kind of like degenerate underbelly of, you know, middle America or the South or, you know, a place that has this like Sylvan kind of uh, patina on top that there's like, you know, there's a rot beneath, Um, you know, it's obviously a really good motivation for some some fiction, like things like Twin Peaks, um, where, you know, it's all about like what's happening in the deep dark woods, you know, behind the scenes of like the idyllic kind of country living kind of situation. So uh, that's what this makes me think of. But we have our main characters, Dr. Scott, well, characters, yeah, Barney, reverting back to the fiction idea, because this stuff is stranger than fiction. Um, We have Dr. Scudder and Joseph Odom, who had lived together for uh, 
t- tens of years, like I believe at least 20 years, if not more, um, before they decided to move to uh, a remote mountain area of Taylor's Ridge in uh, Treon. Um, they started looking at multiple places in states around the South um, where they could get land for a really good deal. They um, got the land for $10,500. Insane when you think about how much land and real estate costs these days. Um, on his 50th birthday, Scudder quit his job and they uh, began to prepare for the move. And Scudder, uh, he packed for the occasion. He brought some, uh, which you could, I guess, colloquially refer to as party favors with him. Um, three glass vials containing an estimated 12,000 doses of the highest, purest uh, LSD imaginable, like, you know, research-grade material, government-grade LSD. And uh, just for funsies, two human skulls. Yeah, he uh, he liked he liked sigils and symbols for sure. He had also gotten really into the Church of Satan, the old COS, not to be confused with the Church of Scientology. And whenever we bring up Church of Satan, this particular COS, we need to point out that it is not devil worshiping, right? It's got its, uh, it's got its roots in atheism, really. Uh, and this is this is the church of Anton LaVey. So also these party favors, to be clear, he stole these when he resigned from, from his position. That LSD was part of uh, his work at the, at the school. And because he was ascribing to these sort of hedonistic, do what thou wilt tenants of the church of Satan, he and his partner, Odom, wanted to find a place off the beaten path, you know, far from the maddening crowd, to make a very bad pun. Uh, and I know it's far from the maddening crowd, just anyone who's going to write the email. Uh, and they wanted to pursue a life where they made their own rules without interference. Like we said, Taylor's around 50 at this time. Taylor's Ridge seems perfect they have a tough time getting down there, um, but they make a splash. People who have never met Scudder nor Odom will participate in the small town rumor mill, and that's why you would hear a lot of things, especially in the like late 80s, early 90s, during different peaks of satanic panics. You'll hear a lot of people who would say he's like a sinister corrupter of the innocent. Or, you know, other people say... He's kind of like an avuncular guy. He likes to hand out free drugs. You know, if you if you catch him on a good day, maybe he'll give you some acid. But but people who did actually meet him said that he was soft spoken. He was charming and well mannered. He was very much not a threatening person. He was like a stereotypical professor. He definitely didn't look like the uh, the trope of the devil worshiper that people described during the satanic panic. He didn't have like a black cloak and fake fangs and all these pentagrams all over him just saying, no, forgive me, I don't drink vine or whatever. Uh, he was he was just... That sounds like a vampire. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Cue the sheriff of Chattooga County. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, maybe he's a vampire, but I tell you what, he is the nicest vampire I have met in quite some time. Uh, but he did have he did have a past, and this is one that I think will be of interest to 
a lot of our fellow listeners today. During his time at that institute, he conducted government-funded experiments with psychoactive drugs. Again, during this time, so like, think about it. We're talking the 70s, some of the 60s. This clearly ties into the looming shadow of MKUltra. But that's just a mention. That's just, we're, we're just pointing out the timeline there. Anyway, they must have underestimated Odom and Scudder, how even, even trying to keep to themselves occasional trips into town were going to get attention from locals because they were newly arrived residents at a place that frankly doesn't have a lot of people moving in. And they would go, you know, like they would do things where they go to the same store every 18 days to re-up on supplies. Or they go to send mail, because as we'll see, Scudder was a prolific letter writer and in contact with a lot of people. But while they were doing this, they were also doing something amazing, which is they were building their own compound. I was curious about this, uh, guys, I wanted to ask you all. Would you live a rustic life? Like, would you be ready to eschew electronic appliances and go for go for the simpler, you know, uh, bucolic lifestyle of wood stoves and candles and oil lamps? Or are you like, no, I need the internet? Yeah, I would totally do that. Uh, as long as I had a generator that I could play a video game if I absolutely had to that doesn't need an internet connection, I would do that. Just to get the fix, right? I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah. you know, like at, at Corpsewood Manor, this like castle in the woods that they built, you're like, you're right, Ben. They couldn't get the utility to send a line out to where their property was. So they couldn't get standard old electricity. And they also couldn't get any water pipes from, you know, the municipal water supplies out to them. So they just had to dig a well. And it, it is, it's weird to think that you just go around every day using candles as your only form of light once it got dark and you're in the middle of the woods. That seems kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. And they, <laughs> they were really affable dudes, though. This is one part that I think gets lost in a lot of the descriptions of the story. So they build this thing by hand. They've got the well. That's, of course, one of the first things they build uh, or dig out. And then they build the manor where they live. And these two guys do have separate bedrooms. Uh, and that's where their kitchen is, library, Scudder's office. But for most of the visitors, they had quite a few visitors, the big events took place in a three-story structure called simply the Chicken House, which for some reason that name bothers me. And you can, you can see pictures of what we're describing. You can see most of it online today uh, if you just search for the right images. This thing is three stories. It doesn't, if you look at the photos, it doesn't look like a particularly opulent structure. It looks, you know, homemade, I guess is a way to say it. It does have chickens on the ground floor. They raise chickens. They also had two mm-hmm. dogs, two very big, uh, no-nonsense bodyguards of dogs. Uh, yeah, the, the second floor, if you go up to the second floor, then you're going to see a larder, a kind of pantry stocked with canned goods that they've bought at the store. Makes sense, especially if you're living semi-off the grid. Uh, but on that second floor, also, they have a pretty extensive collection of pornography, like 
such that you would call it a library. It's not a few nudie mags under someone's mattress. This is like VHS pornography, right? Like that would need to be, you know, stored in many, many shelves. Because it's like you say, I think we made a joke about this before. Maybe we were talking about this place in the original email when it came through. The idea that it had a whole floor dedicated to pornography. And we're all like, huh? And then it was like, oh, yeah, if you do the math, it's like they would have probably all been like big, you know, VHS boxes. So it would have required some space. I'm wondering if a lot of it was print because of the electricity. That's a good point. It's a good point. um, And if it's print, then that just means it was even more extensive if it took up that much of the second floor. So the the second floor is the the porn archive. Then we have the third floor, which is referred to um, affectionately as the pink room. Mm, And this is the most mysterious for this story today. Outsiders and visitors would later take to calling it the pleasure chamber. With Scudder's approval, by the way, uh, and we don't want to kink shame here, folks. This is where the conversation gets a little mature. Yeah, so second floor, porn, canned beans, whatever. The third floor is just one large room, and it is built as the primo hangout spot of the manor. You go into the uh, pink room, say Matt, Noel, and I are visiting, uh, We're not going to find any chairs. We're going to find an assortment of pink sheeted mattresses. And we're also going to find an assortment of very specific gear, the kind of stuff that will be familiar with uh, BDSM enthusiasts. Whips, chains, other implements, uh, often referred to as toys. And then, you know, some more pornography. Um, and, and, And it's weird because we really looked into this, and despite years of searching... Not, not us, but years of other investigators searching, uh, people asking police, law enforcement, GBI, which is the state-level uh, FBI. It's the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. No one, to our knowledge, has found an actual photo of the interior. So when we're telling you these things, we're working off descriptions from the police. There's one thing that still really bugs me about this whole thing. There is what I would call a Schrodinger's guest book. Schrodinger's guest book because it does or does not exist depending on who you ask. This thing keeps receipts. Visitors sign this thing and most of them are outsiders that have corresponded with Scudder. But at least one of these people, and this, this is according to law enforcement, at least one of these people was a prominent local resident. There were also notations about guest uh, alleged sexual preferences and compromising photographs. We don't have those photographs. We'll tell you why this is Schrodinger's book in the first place later. We don't have, not only do we not have those photographs, we don't have any photographs of this floor at all. It's all just based on kind of hearsay. I mean, more than hearsay. It's in police reports and such and descriptions. But uh, I don't believe any investigators or any uh, investigators that have leaked any photos to the public um, have caught a shot of this place. Yep, that's correct. Uh, they. That's why we're saying we're working off police descriptions. So we have to just – at that point, you have to ask yourself how much trust you put in your local authorities, right? Maybe that's a story for a uh, another episode. Ben, in in our outline, we've got what appears to be an exterior shot of the chicken house. Do we do we know yes. if that's confirmed to be the location? That is. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. that is. So if you look at it, you'll see the um, the bottom area. It's a rectangular tower. So at the bottom area, you'll see uh, the brickwork masonry. And then on th- two sides, there are two apertures for windows. But uh, I don't think they had glass in them or they didn't at this time. And a doorway. And then the second floor and the third floor are wooden. And this is what makes it creepy. I, I don't know if this got to you guys as well. The second floor, they're tiny individual windows on each side. They get smaller. And then the third floor, no windows. Yeah, there's got to be a some kind of opening in the roof, maybe? No, you need to get water in there. wonder how they did that. wonder why. Yeah, makes you think. And uh, and we're talking a lot about these visitors, but we have to ask ourselves, how did these people in the middle of the woods, right, the, the closest town is still really small, how did they get so many visitors from across the country? Well, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and uh, then we'll tell you the process of visiting Corpsewood Manor. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Tired of boring lunches? Picture this. You're at Chipotle ordering the same old burrito bowl. But wait, there's more excitement in store than just guac. Introducing Drop, the ultimate rewards app. Just link your card, dine at your favorite restaurants, and you'll earn points to get free gift cards from tons of brands. It's like getting paid to eat. Hungry for savings? Download the Drop app now and use code DROP44 to kickstart your rewards journey with $5 in points. And we're back. We've been talking about the physical Corpsewood Manor location. They're out near Treon, Georgia, in Summer. Is it near Somerville too? Is that is that correct, mm-hmm. Ben? Or it's yeah, in Chattooga County. And we're we're talking about the physical location. So the construction of the chicken house, as well as the castle, the brick castle that was Corpsewood Manor. Um. I just want to bring this up to you guys. Do you remember the movie Hereditary? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I feel like, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, I feel like towards the ending, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a treehouse or something like that involved. a lot 
It looks a lot like this. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotta wonder Good if there call. was some inspiration taken from that. Yeah. You know? It's okay, the kind of thing that, that director. <laughs> I'm just saying it's the kind of stuff that that director Ari Aster. He's really focused on details, and I don't know that the location was necessarily even given for where that movie takes place. I don't think it was like very location forward, you know, in terms of like we're in Portland or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like definitely in a wooded area. Um, I could. There are some characters in it that almost have like southern accents. I could see it potentially taking place somewhere in the South. I think the argument for hereditary is that what you perceive as the known world or reality is all actually one small terrifying diorama at the, at the mercy of uncaring gods. And that's no spoiler. The first shot in the movie, it zooms into a diorama and that's where the first, you know, it's like, that's the house. That's what the, you know, it's, it's like, whether you want to take that as a stylistic choice or as a, uh, indication of the greater kind of meta, uh, you know, almost like snow globe kind of environment of that movie. That's up to you, but I think it's the former. Props to Hereditary. Interesting story so on the development of that script as well. But for uh, another another time. But yes, check it if you haven't seen it yet. Don't know if it's one you're going to want to rewatch with the kiddos, but uh, it's worth seeing, uh, especially around Halloween, the most wonderful time of the year. So how did all these people get there? How did they get there? Well, they got there because they were invited all the time, constantly, by Scudder through letters. Again, he's, he's a man of letters, he's a professor, he's a prolific correspondent and letter writer, and he is mainly writing to dudes, uh, people from all walks of life, people who have been in the prison system before, like his partner, Odom, uh, people who are currently incarcerated at the time. He writes to teachers, he writes to models, he writes to some teenagers, has to be admitted, and the conversations, although they are... But although the people he's writing to are wide-ranging in terms of demographic, the conversations kind of have a common theme, hedonism, sexual activity. And he's very clear about this when he's inviting people and saying, oh, you know, come visit Joey and me at, at Corpsewood. He also goes on to describe in detail, like, body parts and activities that they could engage with uh, during their time at the manor. If they're into it. Another thing about this guy is he's very um, like open about consent, you know, so that that's something that got missed later on in the trials, which is important. So this is a success. It's kind of a numbers game. You know, you write to X amount of people and then some certain percentage uh, say, OK, I'll take you up on it. And so they have visitors come for what they would call sex and game parties, Scudder and Odom make their own wine. They have this homemade wine. They may have been administering some of that primo LSD, and then they would engage in sexual activity again if people were down. They had a lot of folks who visited who had no interest in or knowledge of this activity. Like there would be a lot of hunters in the area because it's a rural environment and they would be walking on, on the guy's land, but they would know it was private land. So they would contact them and say, Hey, is it okay if, you know, I hunt deer or something around here? And they would say, yeah, for sure, man, you want to hang out? We got wine and hunters would hang out. And then, you know, at some point, one thing leads to another. Yeah, right, right, right. And and usually if uh, 
from what we could tell, if someone said, uh, no, thanks, that's, that's not, um, my area of interest, they would say, oh, okay, yeah, fine. Well, you know, come by anytime. If you change we'll your mind. We'll be here. We got the muscadines. <laughs> uh, we got the LSD. We got the pink room. You know, I, look, we've, we've been doing experiments with the mind for quite a while, at least back then. Not anymore, though, right? Sure. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, the, the I would say there are two genres of visitor. There are the locals who are curious or happen to be there for another reason. That would include hunters. That would include um, college-age kids. That would include um, even the, the police swing by, of course. Uh, and the, the, the other genre is the visitors who went on purpose because they had spoken via post with Scudder and they wanted to have this experience. They believed that they were going for a certain thing. And there was a process. They had to arrive a few days before things got rolling, and Scudder would conduct a kind of uh, medical exam that, to him, established their physical and psychological fitness for what was about to happen. Important to note, Scudder is not a medical doctor. He's not. Uh, He has a wide range of uh, experience and scholarship in the workings of the human mind. But that's not the same thing as, you know, being a cardiologist or uh, a GP or something. Anyway, there's an example of what you could expect that we found from a guy named Ben Bellinger. Ben Bellinger, local from the area, goes on to be an attorney, a defense attorney, in the trial we're about to uh, learn about. And, And Ben Bellinger says... You know, one time when I was a kid, me and uh, me and a friend of mine got uh, got really interested from what we'd heard from the rumor mill, and we rode up to Taylor's Ridge. We wanted to check out the scene because we heard, you know, anybody can show up, and we found quote a bunch of college kids in white robes who were apparently stoned out of their minds. Uh, and again, I know it sounds like a weird vibe, and yes, there's. Uh, uh, there's imagery everywhere that would be familiar to demonologists and stuff like that. But almost everyone who later spoke about their experiences at the manor usually reported that they had a good time. And if they, if they didn't, you know, engage in what Scudder was super into, uh, they still said, actually, they're really nice guys which kind of runs counter to the narrative of sinister Satanist in the woods, you know? Yeah, I mean, they were described as kind of being like pretty unassuming, kind of just regular, regular Joes. Which is also kind of the way people usually describe serial killers, just for the record. It's the last I'm going to do this, I hope. Uh, in that ending with Hereditary, guess what they're all wearing up in that treehouse? Uh, the ropes. White Before they robes. get naked. You know, they're naked, but then no, no, white. it's white robes. It's white robes. But then they get and naked. Then, then they get naked. So. Real Corpsewood Manor vibes. <laughs> you know who got I, I, naked? I, I completely fa- agree. You know who got naked uh, more quickly than the than the folks in Hereditary, though, and probably the folks at Corpsewood. The guys in the new Kids in the Hall first Dude, episode. episode one. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! I don't Mega think that's a spoiler. Hang. That's just let to let you know, folks, if you haven't seen it yet. There's no like there's there's no lead up. There's no like, hey, heads up. 
Heads this up, indeed. The, <laughs> More like yeah, heads hell, down, dangling. Yeah. It's weird too because it's not just like a quick shot. It's like them; they're instructed it's, to jump up on. and down and wiggle <laughs> and stuff. Like it's like they a, do whole a thing. helicopter. Yeah, and uh, anyway, it, we're all big kids in the hall fans. Which word to the wise? Uh, they just, are going to surprise you. I just watched the baby dropping sketch, like the percentage of dropping oh, babies. Yeah, 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 Freaking yeah, yeah. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really good percent percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> that is, I want to rewatch that one. But yeah, so despite all the weirdness, the eccentricity, and let's remember that uh, people in this area are kind of familiar with town eccentrics. Howard Fenster is... Like in in their minds, he's mainly a bicycle repairman and a and a guy who occasionally is is a very uh, vocal street preacher. But he also makes art and he's part of the community. You know, what I mean, he's like our weird guy. Like every neighborhood in a city has our weird person. We've got um, for many years here in Atlanta, there was Baton Bob. Baton Bob is was local figure who used to go outside and parade around in front of our old office. Pretty nice guy, and he just does these one person like uh, baton performances. Wouldn't mm-hmm. hurt a fly, you know. Uh, and it looked fabulous. It was it yes. was definitely just an outfit that you could you could spot from way down the road. Right? Oh, Baton Bob's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, driving driving friends from out of town, just like show them the office or something, give them the nickel tour, and they would sometimes say, "Who the hell is that?" And I would say, "Oh, that's <laughs> um, that's Bob." And they go, "Bob, you don't?" And I say, "Oh, Baton Bob," as though that explained everything. <laughs> like they would go, "Oh, yeah, yeah." Anyhow, so the question for some of the locals in this rumor mill is: Are these guys dangerous? They seem nice when we talk to them, or are they, you know, just kind of harmless eccentrics, like, like that guy who fixes bicycles up the way? And police come and visit them and say, you know, well, hey, what's going on here? Just want to check in. And they have a great conversation with law enforcement, and they say, hey, you know, it's, it's great to meet you. you. I know you're at work. Do you want to come in? We got, we got wine. And uh, the cops, you know, there's there's a little bit of hubbub uh, as uh, as things progress uh, because some members of law enforcement want to see if they can shut down these folks who are, from their perspective, devil worshippers, and they can't because the U.S. Uh, for now practices freedom of religion, and this. This is still intriguing, though. So they leave, but they've got their eye on folks. And the mystery is compounded when some visitors say that Scudder tells them, essentially, he's only kind of retired and that he is continuing some version of the experiments he conducted at Loyola. He is fascinated by the inner workings of the human mind. Uh, One eyewitness later goes on to say that he kind of enjoyed poking at psychological mechanisms like a, quote, kid poking at a, a nest or an anthill or a snake with a stick. So it's a weird vibe for sure. It's a vibe. Uh, and we can't, can't overemphasize just how 
riddled this place was with stuff that people would call satanic sigils. No judgment. We're just saying like, you know, there are like four chimneys on top of the main manor. Each one is emblazoned with a pentagram, statues of Mephistopheles. Um, oh, who are some of the other ones? And I know you guys know. There was also a satanic Bible. Yeah, those two giant mastiffs that they had on the property were Beelzebub and uh, Arsenath. Uh, Beelzebub's a demon. Arsenath is from H.P. Lovecraft, or it's a character. That's not really fair to the dog. That's a lot to remember, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> surely they have pet names, but but yeah. So they're they're definitely going for a theme here is what is what we're saying. But they're not harming anyone. And they're asking for consent, and they're, like, pretty, pretty nice. They welcome anybody who wants to hang, uh, including, like, bikers. Uh, there's a, there was a motorcycle club that felt pretty messed up about the tragic events that would later occur because they kicked it with these guys, and they said, look, these dudes know how to party. They showed us a great time. They didn't judge us, and we feel like we dropped the ball because we were very protective of them. Right. And this is um, this same friendliness on their part, this same kind of trusting nature of people is ultimately what led to their murders. So let's go to that. It's December 16th, 1982. We're going to jump around in time a little bit. There's a guy named Raymond Williams. He's a friend of this couple. He goes by Corpsewood to give them the unpleasant news or the sad news that another one of their mutual friends has passed away. When Raymond gets to the door, he sees there are bullet holes in the door. He sees there are holes in, in the window as well. So he hightails it out, and he alerts the authorities. They arrive on the scene. They find that Charles Scudder and Joseph Odom have been fatally shot. Charles was found in the library, multiple gunshot wounds to his head, Joseph was found in the kitchen, uh, shot fatally in the head and neck around four times. Those dogs were also dead, and it appeared that someone around the same time had tossed the house trying to trying to steal stuff, right? It looked like a robbery. It looked yeah. so much like a robbery that the authorities were convinced that's what it was. Jewelry was taken, like a gold-plated dagger, a lot of the strange symbolic objects. So investigators found a witness uh, named Teresa Hudgens, uh, 18, who was um, actually had a date lined up with a guy named Joey Wells on December 12th of 1982. And Joey's uncle uh, was a 30 year old man named Samuel Tony West. Um, Joey's car broke down uh, and Tony offered to give uh, the kids or the teenagers a ride back. He was also accompanied by another 17 year old named Kenneth Avery Brock. Uh, Brock and Tony actually lived together in a trailer nearby. Um, both had uh, checkered, troubled pasts. Uh, Brock had spent some time with Scudder and Odom uh, previously, and he thought they were rich. Uh, and he told Tony that they should rob them. Um, they should rob this uh, eccentric couple living out on the ridge, which they decided to do uh, the moment they saw an opportunity present itself, which... Uh, it did <laughs> on December yeah. 12th. They had an ulterior motive, right, for giving giving these kids on a date a ride. And they had planned this, and on the, on the way to the, 
on the way they're going to Corpsewood Manor, and it feels like it was slightly premeditated, right? Because they did, they had been thinking about doing this robbery, but you have to wonder if they would have gone on December the 12th if Joey Wells's car had not broken down, kind of bringing it back to their minds. Why is their mental state a subject of importance here? Well, on the way to Corpsewood Manor, they weren't driving particularly responsibly. They were huffing a homemade, uh, a homemade concoction of theirs. It contained alcohol, paint thinner, and glue. And and Matt, I think you're a, you're a fan of the name as well, right? Yeah, Toodaloo. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. At the Webby Awards, Big Bird was there, and he accepted his award, and his sign-off was, Toodaloo! And I just couldn't believe that there's a thing called Toodaloo that is actually paint thinner that you huff. Um, it's also Never known as... Never such. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's also... I think it's called Tulene or something something to that effect. You can look it up. It is an industrial solvent, and it's used for several things, but one thing you can use and it for... Huffing is to huff and dissociate and have some really bad effects on your body. Right, and your mind. So they get there, things go south quickly. Uh, Scudder and Odom remember uh, Brock from earlier, and they say, oh, hey, you guys are here, you want to hang out? This is great, so let's go to the pink room. And they go and hang out in the pink room, they're drinking wine, and then after a, a brief hang sesh, Brock goes back outside, retrieves a rifle, from their vehicle, he comes back and he holds Scudder at gunpoint or knife point, depending on the story. But I, I believe it's gunpoint because you can you can see some harrowing accounts of this, where in Scudder is kind of inebriated a little bit at this point, and he's saying he first sees the gun and he says bang bang, haha, and then he realizes they're not playing, uh, and things just quickly escalate. Brock and Tony are telling this guy to produce the cash. They're convinced they're millionaires, right? Because they have a mansion in the middle of nowhere. All they appear to do is party and work on their mansion. But they don't know that Scudder and Odom spent pretty much all their scratch building this strange compound. In fact, they're living on about $200 a month. This is ideological for them. So at this point, I, I want to say just if we can practice empathy and imagine those poor kids, Joey Wells and Teresa, this is the worst date ever. And, and first, the car doesn't work. Then people are huffing when they drive you someplace. Then, you know, you're drinking wine underage. And then it looks like, oh, I've accidentally been at a robbery. Uh, I think the statute of limitations has passed. I'm pretty sure I've accidentally been at some robberies. And as weird as it sounds, especially people with an unstable mental state, they might not mention their true intentions until it's too late for you to get out. So Joey and Teresa immediately try to run. And they say, okay, we're going to hop in this. You know what? We're going to just get out of here. We're going to steal a car. These guys are crazy. I'm sorry about my uncle. And the car won't start. Brock murders Joseph Odom and the dogs. Tony takes Scudder into the manor where he murders him as well, probably after, again, trying to, you know, say, where's the money? Give me the money. And they ransack the house. And turns out Scudder and Odom are telling the truth. They don't have, they don't have loads of cash in some sort of secret treasure trove. Uh, the, the robbers find 
or they make off with some jewelry, like the gold-plated dagger we mentioned, a couple other, like, amulets and bric-a-brac, basically, and then they flee, and they make it to Mississippi. To, uh, they try to do a carjacking on a Navy lieutenant, I believe, named Kirby Phelps. Their original plan was to get Phelps out of the car, tie him to a tree, steal the vehicle, but Tony kills him. And then eventually they split ways in Texas. So Brock uh, eventually turns himself in on December 20th. And then a few days later, Tony is apprehended in Tennessee. Um, This uh, leads to an investigation and a subsequent satanic panic right there in Chattooga County, Georgia. Uh, We're going to talk about both of those things and how they relate to one another after another quick break. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Is getting gas at Exxon burning a hole in your wallet? What if I told you you can easily earn cash back while you fill up? Introducing Drop, the app that turns every fill up into a reward. With Drop, you'll earn points to get free gift cards every time you fill up your tank. Download Drop and use code DROP66 to instantly receive $5 in points to jumpstart your savings journey. Don't miss out on turning your gas expenses into something rewarding. And we're back. Um, so the trial becomes an absolute public, you know, pandemonium. Um, it's absolutely a circus of epic proportions. You got to remember, this is a part of the country that has a lot of deep rooted fears of things like Satanism, of things like ritual sacrifice, of anything that runs counter to kind of evangelical Christianity. And this is not pigeonholing. I mean, we speak from experience, even here in Atlanta, uh, which is a much more of a kind of a liberal bastion in Georgia. You have plenty of folks that see the devil everywhere. Uh, much more the case once you get into more rural parts of the state. Um, so... Well, just imagine imagine there are a bunch of rumors going around about somebody in town, you know, some pretty prominent place within town. 
but it is rumors. You've heard tell from maybe a cousin, maybe somebody you went to high school with, but you haven't seen it in a while, and they just mentioned something about it. And then all of a sudden, down at the courthouse of your small town, there's a big trial happening with guys, you know, uh, who supposedly killed people who lived there in that rumored place. And there are all, there's all this laundry, some of it dirty, coming out about the specific lifestyle, right? Like you said, Noel, that is not common for that town. Not openly, right? Mm-hmm. Not practiced openly would be the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this is terrible because there are two two flavors of investigation happening, two different halls of court, one the actual court of the U.S., one the court of public opinion. The murderers are on trial in the actual court, but in the court of public opinion, the lifestyle of the victims is on trial just as much as the real crimes. And these guys are labeled, and this is not our phrase, This is the phrase that was used at the time, both in court and in the media. They're labeled, quote, homosexual devil worshipers. And they are, like you guys are saying, they're super easy targets of the satanic panic that's sweeping the nation at the time. This is when Ouija boards were considered the number one mass-produced way to speak to infernal forces. Uh because that's how they get you, I guess, at the uh, games department or your local local department store. Oh, Milton Bradley, you know, mm-hmm. the ulterior the motives. The devil's in aisle six, I guess. But, but yeah. Aisle so, 666. There it is. So, um, so Dr. Anton LeVay is aware of this and he's clearly livid. Because he says, look, you know what this is? These murders are evidence that there are areas of the U.S. where you are going to be attacked for having beliefs that don't fit the status quo, right? And huge proponent of freedom of religion, whatever else be said about him. And for the record, this is absolutely true. <laughs> I mean, you know, we think about people in the LGBTQ um, community um, it, it being victims of hate crimes and and beatings. I mean, that happened in places other than the Deep South, but it was certainly a little more prevalent. And now with, you know, uh, trans rights being um, kind of in the forefront and getting more widespread adoption and respect, you have places in the South that are trying to pass laws that prohibit um, discussion of any kind of pronouns or, or, or trans-related rights. Um, so we're kind of circling back in a way to what Dr. LeVay was talking about. It absolutely is a prejudice that exists in this part of the country. Oh, very much so. And not just this country, obviously. There's still no. many, many areas of the world where uh, people are risking their lives in the legal system uh, for being who they are. You know, and and remember the the true definition of state power is monopoly over violence, uh, which is a point I wish people would bring up more often. Anyhow, yes, the idea of homophobia plays a huge role in this trial. The defense initially accuses Dr. Scudder of spiking that homemade wine with LSD because that would somehow make these people more likely to quote, participate in oral sex with him. But law enforcement tested the wine, and it not only didn't have LSD in it, 
It didn't have any other kind of psychoactive drug. It, 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 the only drug it had in there was alcohol because it was homemade hooch. So that that defense falls through. And then when that fails, West argues that he is, um, if not unintentionally drugged, he is unintentionally intoxicated against his will. They get him drunk, um, you know, toodaloo aside. And then they, uh, the defense even says in the trial at some point, that Scudder had a motive to harm these guys because he was a homosexual. And then West, during his confession, at some point says, look, all I can say is they were devils and I killed them. That's how I feel about it. Uh, As you can see, these are not the most sympathetic of criminals. Yeah. And this, this goes on. And honestly, the, the thing is, because these people had a lifestyle that folks found controversial in the area, uh, you could wonder what their ultimate sentencing would have been. But everyone could agree, everyone in the court could agree that the murder of the Navy lieutenant was indeed a serious crime. Uh, and that's that's one of the things that really got the judge to go hard on them. Um, One of them, Tony, was initially given the death penalty, but due to what was described as a lack of women in the jury at the original trial, he got a retrial, and then he was given life in prison. Uh, The other guy got life in prison as well. At the time of this recording, both men are alive. They are incarcerated in Georgia in two separate facilities. Uh, But, you know, no matter what what happens to someone after they have murdered a person, those murder, those murder victims don't come back. You know what I mean? And so you have to wonder about justice. You have to wonder about seriously, a lot of things with this investigation. I, I let's go back to this. What we mentioned earlier, what happened to that guest book that was described as a diary? Why, why do some people deny it existed at all? Dude's, lawyers, several lawyers in the murder case claimed that not only was it not around, but that they had never heard of it. So either they're embellishing or maybe the chain of custody broke down before it got to them. What do you guys think? I don't know. It seems like one of those things that you may have taken if you knew what it was, if you you just committed a crime there because it does have records of people who've been there and probably including them. But who, but who knows? And you shared a really interesting link with us, Ben, law.justia.com, J-U-S-T-I-A.com. And in there, you can see the case West versus State. I think you might be able to find it if you search the number 252 and then GA for Georgia, 156-1984. I know that's a lot of weird things, but you can find it. It's got information in there that Ben is referring to where there are different attorneys kind of giving some interesting arguments that occurred throughout the the cases there. Uh, things that I, I just didn't even know existed, but that's how I learned about Toodaloo. Is there, is there a yeah, Toodaloo? And by the way, I mean, I think Toodaloo in the British parlance is spelled like with a D and this one is spelled toot. Dash A dash Lou. I mean, obviously they're referencing something similar. I don't know what came first, but uh, yeah, it's definitely Toodaloo is just like a kind of a corny, almost British 
farewell. But guys, is there a sense that like, I mean, the motivations for these murders seems pretty clear and tied to a crime of opportunity, you know, that went horribly wrong. Um, But because of this guest book and the idea of prominent local people being in it potentially, is there a sense that that this was potentially a hit job or something more than the surface, uh, you know, evidence might suggest? I see this is something I went back and forth on as well, because for people who are a little more uh, conspiratorially minded about this, there are a lot of questions like you would have to ask yourself about the extent of Dr. Scudder's involvement with government sponsored experimentation. Right. That's one that's one unresolved string not saying it has anything to do with the murder. It's an unresolved string, though. And then another thread would um, another thread would be good old fashioned prejudice, or or maybe self preservation. If there was if there was again this still unknown prominent local who wanted to silence any evidence of of their involvement with these folks, because again, Scudder and Odom kind of open books in a lot of ways. Like if you ask them, hey, do you know so-and-so? They probably say, oh, yeah, so-and-so comes all the time. Great guy. Yeah, we had a pegging sesh yesterday. It was awesome. Right, right. So it may be something like that. But we'll never know unless that guest book surfaces or unless someone could actually prove it is real. Uh, like it, it's weird because the a trial witness, Tracy Bell uh, Wilson, and a former sheriff, Gary McConnell, say it was indeed real. McConnell encountered it. McConnell is on record claiming, yeah, I saw it, I found it, I turned it in as evidence, but I have no idea what happened to it after it entered into the evidence room. And to this date, no one knows where that book is. Is it possible that someone purposely lost the evidence to preserve the reputation of a prominent local, whomever they might be? There's no solid proof of it, but I know for a lot of us in the audience today, you hear something like that and you go, small towns, they can keep secrets. And I don't know if you guys found this in your um, research, but there are some kind of herb, like, like, uh, I don't know, ghost hunter site exploration type videos um, with people going, you know, finding this place. It's not the most straightforward place to find, but you can find it um, and or at least the site of it. And uh, there's one YouTube video in particular where some folks are like, you know, backpacking through the woods and they and they find their way to the site. And there's uh, reports of spooky goings on <laughs> at the site. Yeah, it's on Google Maps. Yeah, and if you look at the images on there and search Corpsewood Manor, you can see kids hanging out with their parents, like little kids. Uh, they, I saw one picture in particular. Noel looks like Eden from a couple years ago, just hanging out yeah, by the probably. ruins. Like, hey, look, yay, Corpsewood Manor. Because mm-hmm. um, everything Corpse is Corpsewood Manor sound like a location in Elden Ring. I mean, it really does. It's got, it's got such a such a fantasy goth kind of um, Lovecraftian vibe to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and today the manor, the manor has fallen to ruin. You know, yes. it's got, it's overgrown. There's graffiti on multiple surfaces. And if you want to visit, you need to be aware that um, as, as I mentioned in a first conversation about this, it's on private land. So 
just have that in your back pocket, right? You need to understand that it can be considered trespassing to get there. Obviously, that doesn't worry a ton of people. And obviously, there are mechanisms to ask uh, whether you can go on that land, uh, just the same way that hunters used to ask Scudder and Odom if it was okay to hunt deer there. This still hasn't stopped people from speculating about some hidden story behind these tragic events. And of course, rumors are not people. They don't have to respect trespassing laws. That's why you hear so much scuttlebutt now uh, where people will say there might be ghostly forces. Uh, You'll hear rumors which are able to confirm or untrue about some hidden underground lair, a lab of some sort. That does not appear to be the case. The main digging those guys did was to create that well. You also hear people say it has a deep kind of vibe um, a, a vibration, an emanation of sadness, you know, like folks who feel that they are sensitive, as, as they would sometimes be described, will say, you know, something happened here. Uh, that kind of stuff is really hard to prove, whether, you know, the legitimacy of that. But they'll also say they hear the ghost of gunshots, strange echoes, barking. They might even see glowing eyes in the night. But what we can see in this case, what can be proven, does not need to be supernatural. It is a story ultimately of prejudice, petty criminal motivation, and in some cases, it's a story of a small town home to some stuff they don't want you to know. Unless the guest book comes out. Yeah. Did we even mention the rumor that Scudder supposedly summoned a demon to protect the manor? And the property? We did not. And part of that is because the uh, the a lot of the stuff I was reading, particularly uh, the book The Corpsewood Manor Murders in North Georgia uh, by Amy Patula, it, it mentions that and says that they couldn't find any evidence for it. But it is, you're right, Matt, that's one of like the long-running, at least rumors. From what I could tell, it's commonly accepted as fact. I just couldn't. Plus, how could you confirm that? You'd have to have Scudder tell you, right? I guess so. Just seems an interesting thing, especially for anyone who wants to go back out there. I can imagine why that makes it massively intriguing. There may be a demon still roaming the land, Mm. although it did not protect uh, Charles and Mr. Odom. Well, that's the thing about working with those sorts of forces. Uh, It's typically, in the world of those belief systems, it's not a sustainable relationship. For sure. Yeah, it's a heavy one, guys. Uh, glad we talked about it again. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it really has. You know, especially the, the part where the fiction mind, you know, would take this in a uh, much more conspiratorial direction would be that guest book and who was in that guest book and was it really a cover up and were the rituals real? It's like all the things that I think intrigued us about season one of True Detective so much. Um, you know, believing that maybe there was real magic. And, you know, then, of course, the uh, participation of high ranking government officials, because even though we know Georgia and the South, uh, these things don't fly publicly. This idea of freewheeling sex parties and all of that stuff and, you know, hedonistic behavior. We also know it happens. (laughs) We also know politicians do that stuff and they cover it up and uh, because of it's all about appealing to the voters and the constituencies and the, and those people are typically, you know, the ones that are really active and, and, and make sure to have their vote heard or like older folks that uh, are very right leaning and, and, and don't, um, you know, God fearing types. So 
that's the fun part about you know taking real stories like this and kind of crafting them into critique on uh, on society. I mean, I think there's enough of that already built into the story in terms of the critique on society part. But I'm fascinated by the idea of taking like these kind of real true crime stories and, and using them as fodder for, for much more outlandish fiction. But you don't really need to go much more outlandish than the story already does. Well, and and again, just to get the legal department off my, off my keister in the future here, uh, found no solid proof of a cover-up, just where where is the guest book? And I think that's a fair question to ask. That's a question a lot of other people have asked too. We hope you, I don't think, enjoy this episode is the right way to say it, but we we hope you found it uh, as fascinating as we did. And we hope it left you with some of the same questions. Um, even more importantly, we want to hear your stories about places like this or occurrences like this in your neck of the global woods. Let us know, fellow conspiracy realists. We can't wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube where we are at Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are at Conspiracy Stuff Show. You can check out our merchandise if you wish. That's a weird thing to think about. There's a Public site. Just search for stuff they don't want you to know. You'll find it. There's also a book. It's coming out in October of this year. If you'd like to pre-order, you can do that right now. You can head on over to Stuff You Should Read Books and do that right now if you wish. If you don't want to contact us on social media or you don't want to buy the book yet, why not then give us a phone call? That's right. You can give us a call at one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave your story, your message, your question, your request at the sound of the beep following Ben's uh, very familiar introduction. Uh, you got three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Do with them what thou wilt. If you catch my drift, uh, and if that's not enough time for you to tell your tale, why, by all means, reach out to us in the old-fashioned way with an email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Overspending on Amazon? Earn while you shop with Drop. Earn rewards on every purchase, online or in-store. Download Drop now and use code DROP11 to get $5 in points. Get rewarded for shopping today.